2: Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and I am here with my co-host, Michelle. Claire, Michelle, how are you tonight? I am wonderful, and I'm so excited to be
3: here. How are you tonight?
2: I'm good. I'm still staying warm. You know, I have many layers on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We're expecting yet another storm So I'm getting geared up, you know, to get the snow shovel out, and we'll see what happens next. I'm hearing it's going to be a lot of ice, and that is never an easy thing to deal with. But you're in Arizona where the weather is a little cool but still nice, huh? Oh, yeah. It is beautiful here. I have no complaints right
3: now. About 60 degrees today, sunny, a little bit breezy, but we are all good.
2: That's great. So here we are on February 2nd, and Mercury retrograde, everybody, it comes to an end tomorrow. Yay, Yay. things should move ahead. Yes, contracts, electronics, everything should be right with the world, let's hope. So so Michelle, do you have any angelic messages for our audience tonight? I absolutely do, because as I was getting ready for the show to
3: start, I was connecting with the angels, and they were saying, Michelle, February, it's the month of love, right? And so often, we as humans, we are looking for that love from another person, or who are we going to love? Who's going to be my valentine? And angels were really saying today, you know who's supposed to be your valentine? You. This is a Hmm. month of love, but it's a month of self-love and it's about loving ourselves and putting ourselves first. What was really beautiful about this message is that as we love ourselves and put ourselves first, it actually helps raise up the energy of other people. So a lot of times our humanness tells us, well, this is really selfish. You should not love yourself first. But that's not accurate on a soul level because our souls came here to live and play and grow in the magic of life. And by doing that, by loving and honoring ourselves, that's how we help other people to love and honor themselves.
2: That makes a lot of sense. Yes.
3: Yes, the message is love, but it's love yourself first. Be your own Valentine. And anyone else you can share that with, that's an add-on. But you're supposed to love yourself this month.
2: All righty, then. I'm buying myself a box of chocolates. That's what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Awesome. I'll get the wine. (laughs)
2: Okay. Then we've got everything mm-hmm. we need.
3: <laughs>
0: yeah. <what's
2: that? laughs> now, do do you have any workshops and events coming up, Michelle, that you can tell us about? Yeah, I do. If you are in the Phoenix area,
3: uh, February sixth, I will be in Scottsdale doing readings, and there's a sound and energy healing that we'll be doing at the same time. February 12th, I will be in Tim P, and that's for an in-person group reading. And on the 28th, I'll have an online gallery reading. So people can go to my website, Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E, Claire, C-L-A-R-E dot net, and buy
2: tickets and
3: go to these events. It's
2: and if they want to a connect private with your
3: loved ones. Mm-hmm. Yes,
2: and if they want a private reading with you, you are available for that as well, right? absolutely yes you can book that through my website
3: too but yeah this is a month of love love yourself first connect with your loved ones and spirit um be open you know to receiving that love
2: that is a plan absolutely a plan well that's all good so let's see we have a great guest tonight i'm so excited to have paul Blakesmith with us we're going to bring him on in just a minute And I wanted to, again, tell everybody, go to the Facebook page for Supernatural Girls. Make sure you like and follow us there on Twitter, on MeWe. We are on all of those social media platforms. And be sure to follow us. We've got some amazing guests coming up, as we always do. I mean, tonight's guest, amazing. and great information. We try to bring you the very best and the very latest of what's happening in the paranormal world and how it's affecting you in your daily life, because it is. And we all know some of the craziness and all of the craziness that's been going on the last couple of years, and it's good to get some guidance. So we are here to help you through that, and you can always reach us by email. All of our contact information is on Supernatural Girls. .com also on the Facebook page and you can find Michelle as well on her own website michelle, net. so tonight anything can happen right michelle anything during this show anything <laughs> anything so we we'll see because we put out a personal invitation to president eisenhower and president nixon And maybe Jackie Gleason, we should include him in this too, right? And let's see, he had a big personality when he was alive and he may want to step forward and add a few things to this. But our guest tonight is an incredibly great researcher and he is the author of numerous books on UFOs and their subsequent cover-ups. He has painstakingly researched all the pieces to the puzzle involving President Eisenhower and his supposed treaty, which I believe happened, with aliens. Now, Paul's book, President Eisenhower's Close Encounters, is a bestseller. It's now available as an audio book. So, if you don't like to read, you can get this magnificent audiobook. It's very well done, and you can hear the whole story right there. Now, Paul has another book that was just accepted for publication, by Foundation Book Publishing, and it's called The Nixon-Gleason Alien Encounter. So that will be the next book that we'll tell you when it drops so you can get it for sure. I have no doubt that will also be picked up as an audio book because everything that Paul does is so meticulous. It's so well done, and he's a great writer, so it's a joy to read all of the information that he puts forward. And he's with us tonight. So, Paul, welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you for having me
2: on. We're losing you a little bit, so you may have to move the position of your phone or oh, okay. yourself so we can hear you a little better. That's a little better. So it's yeah, great uh, to have you with us. Keep yeah, talking, uh, and hopefully we'll, we'll get a okay, clear reading. <laughs>
0: this
1: <is telling> you.
0: <laughs> for the nice comments on my book, and that's coming up, and you're very excited. I think uh, your listeners
2: are going to really enjoy the show. Well, I'm glad you're here. We're still having trouble hearing you, so you might want to try different areas to move to to get a better signal. I know you're on a cell phone tonight, so we'll do the best we can. But your books, I've read both of them, and they're excellent and it really makes you think about what in the heck was going on. So let's start with President Eisenhower if we can, because it's my understanding, and not just from your book, but from other researchers as well, that Eisenhower is the one who really started in a big way this whole secrecy thing, that the public could not be told anything of what was going on. And that's certainly, we're under that level, high level of secrecy even today. So that's tell funny. us, what what was it that made you want to dig deep into Eisenhower?
0: Uh, when I first began reading of this story, this uh, really exciting claim, that he went to an air base and met with some friendly alien beings back in the 1950s. Well, I read about this in the 1980s. And then it popped up again like 15 years later. I thought, boy, this is an exciting story.
1: Where is there
0: a book about this? And
1: I kept waiting and waiting. I
0: another 10 years by and I decided I'm going to research this uh, saga and write it myself. And I did, and it came out a couple of years ago, and it's done really well. And I'm always pleased to talk about it. I'll uh, emphasize two things real quick, that uh, I'm not a gullible uh, fool of a person, I
1: tend to come from a cynical uh, family. I want to, uh, I'm from Missouri. You got to show me. Uh, that's our state <laughs> motto. So <laughs> we always look for the facts and you know what's the real
0: story here. And second, just this morning, online about um, astronomers and scientists are coming more and more to the conclusion that there's not only life on other planets, but it's very likely that these life forms have human uh, evolution, human shapes human bodies like ours, but there are human beings on other planets. And that's uh, it's something to keep in mind as we get into the Eisenhower encounter, because that's
2: rather what he uh, found out firsthand. Yeah. And, you know, it it's interesting when I was reading your book and also talking to you about all of this, is that the aliens that he met with looked quite human in some ways, right? I mean, it was clear they were extraterrestrials, but they looked, they had human features, right?
0: Right. There was a test pilot for the Air Force at the encounter.
1: He was called in due to his expertise on aerodynamics
0: and flight and technology. And he's in the early 1980s and said, everyone else at the meeting is now dead. And I want to get this story out before, um, you know, I. Eisenhower met with these friendly human-like aliens. He said they looked uh, a lot like humans but only a little different, a little misshapen in there by our standards. So uh, it's
1: They've been keeping an eye on planet Earth, and we're rather aghast at the way we've been treating our environment. If you remember back in the 40s and 50s, I'm sure you've seen film footage or TV coverage or photographs. We were really
0: belching out pollution into the atmosphere and setting off atomic bombs that were full of radiation. We were a little reckless. uh, And uh, apparently that was a main concern, a real impetus for some human life. Uh, The age-old question, I think. California on the night of February nineteenth, nineteen fifty four, an otherwise very peaceful Friday night.
2: It's just amazing that all of this has gone on and they've kept the lid on it so tight. But you are able to get pieces of it and bring these puzzle pieces together, which is wonderful. Now tell us more about this, the arrival, I mean, did people see a ship land? Did our military escort President Eisenhower to a landing site? How did this happen? All
0: right. Uh, President Eisenhower was uh, spending every day golfing in the desert. But, you know, Paul,
2: hang on a second, because we're still losing you. You're kind of cutting in and out. Um, I'm, oh, yeah. Did you say you have another phone you could use?
0: Sure, I very much like this one, though. Uh, Uh Uh-oh, okay,
2: well, yeah, what you might want to do is uh, hang up and then call in on the other phone because it's really hard to hear you. It's like you go in and out. You're clear, and then all of a sudden it starts starts leaving pieces of your conversation out. We want to hear everything you have to say. So do you want to try calling back in?
0: Uh, All right. Is it any better right now?
2: Yeah, why don't you just call right back in. I'm going to hang you up here, and you can call back in. Thank you. Okay, Sorry for- okay so this happens sometimes. Okay. <laughs> you know, it does um, happen
3: sometimes, and, 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 you know, there's also a possibility that somebody would want to censor his message. We'll just put that out there, too.
2: <laughs> yes, exactly. Yep, yeah, no question about that. So let's see if his other phone can break through all of this other stuff that's going on.
3: Absolutely. You know, and it's interesting, too, because what he did say was he talked about them coming during the time when, you know, the atomic bomb was being detonated and things like that. But that makes sense because what we often forget about as humans is what's happening here. It ha- it's like throwing a stone in the pond. The ripples go outward, right? So yes. at some yes. level, what
2: we're doing here, it is affecting life throughout the universe. Yeah, everything's connected. So that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they did come, according to Paul's research, and offer help. And I'm sure he's going to tell us more of the fact that Eisenhower didn't really want their help, which is unfortunate. (laughs) Maybe we can invite them back. We need their help. (laughs) (laughs) We do. Well, and as you know from last week, what happened uh, with Yuri Geller's statement saying that we were getting all of these mysterious radio bursts, that nobody had ever seen before mm-hmm. and his take on it was we were going to have a mass landing well wouldn't that be fun i would like that then the government couldn't deny it and hopefully they'd be friendly <laughs> that's all i can say hopefully fingers crossed Absolutely. everybody's friendly
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and that would be that would oh, be great geez. i've often said it would they they would do better if they came to people as a group rather than the government who always wants to cover things up and lie to us and weaponize everything right so we'll yeah. have to see we'll have to see like, what oh, their welcome. plans are
3: <laughs>
2: right yeah <laughs> we can have a party you know, okay paul is...
3: i don't think they're going to be mean
2: okay he's back okay good well i hope that they're great good friends hey mm-hmm. paul let's see yeah. how you sound
1: Oh, uh, okay are you ladies been having a party huh? without me
2: we are, but that's okay. You're invited, and you sound much better, much better. Oh, okay, good. So thank you. Okay, so anyways, we were talking about what happened with this, you know, when the ship landed. Who escorted President Eisenhower? Did they escort President Eisenhower to them or them to President Eisenhower?
1: Uh, the aliens came down, according to a couple of witnesses, in five different craft, three circular shape and two elongated shapes on a runway at Edwards Air Force Base in the Mojave Desert. Uh, Air Force officials must have greeted them, for they called President Eisenhower and gave him what they felt was the all-clear or AOK signal to come on over and greet these friendly creatures. So I'm thinking they stepped out of their craft and spoke to uh, any uh, officer <laughs> or enlisted man who was brave enough to step up and try to communicate with them. Uh, Eisenhower was a brave man. He fought, um, well, he was part of the uh, armed forces uh, network in uh, uh, Europe during World War II. He was not afraid of anything, and he boldly went from his golf vacation in Palm Springs, uh, took a quick flight to Edwards Air Force Base, and he uh, was surrounded by six bodyguards, according to the eyewitness who talked in the early 1980s and that he calmly, the president, spoke to these uh, extraterrestrial beings who spoke in English. They were familiar with our language and our customs, and uh, they mm-hmm. had a nice chat on a runway at Edwards Air Force Base.
2: Wow. And so, again, what what did they say? They they were like, we're here to help? Because that's my understanding is they were here in a friendly way offering yeah. help.
1: They originally began by saying, we'd like to begin an education program for the people of Earth to our presence, that there are other beings in other worlds, and we'd like to uh, help you teach people that we are real and uh, we've been observing you and we would like to make contact. And Eisenhower thought about that for a while, and uh, the, the creatures, or the, the people, I guess you would call them, the the humanoids, Uh, decided to put on a little display, and they got in their ships and they showed what they can do to try to convince Eisenhower uh, to say yes to their idea of an education program for humanity. And they probably overplayed their hand. Uh, They put on quite a dazzling aerial show in the sky over um, Edwards Air Base that night when there wasn't too many people around. Uh, I'm thinking that their airships must have spun around and sped off in amazing speeds and then came back and sat down quietly and and far exceeded our own Air Force technology. So uh, Eisenhower was a bit rattled by that, and he thought about it, and he decided our people just are not ready for you. This world is not ready to hear from you yet, and he asked them to kind of stay at arm's length is the bottom line of this.
2: What a shame. And, yeah, he Mm -hmm. was afraid of um, the people were going to just run screaming into the night that they'd just go insane. Okay. (laughs) You know, we've heard Mm -hmm. that so many times, and so many people say how ridiculous that is, especially today, but we're talking many years ago. And maybe people would have been really upset by it or not been able to handle it. But people then, remembered often... in those
1: days, yeah, uh, especially Eisenhower, I'm sure they remember, the 1938 War of the Worlds radio broadcast by Orson yes. Welles and his company. And that sent right. some people mm-hmm. panicking. Now, that was an alien invasion story, but this was a friendly uh, race of people. But then again, how can you be entirely sure you may start out friendly, but would that be a kind of Trojan horse? Would they try to pull something else? And so an old war veteran like um, Eisenhower just couldn't uh, say yes entirely. He just he couldn't tell them to speak openly to people. He was afraid of that panic and that people might give up their religious faith or their job or their uh, education and decide they're just going to follow whatever aliens uh, say and do. So you can kind of understand uh, Ike's point of view back in 54. Oh,
2: definitely. I mean, there's something to be said for that. And then you mentioned the Trojan horse, and it reminds me of that old Twilight Zone, brilliantly written by Rod Serling, To Serve Man. I'm sure you know that one, right?
1: Uh, Probably, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, it's where, you know, they come to earth, these aliens, and they they say, you know, we're here, and then they decode the book, and the title is to serve man. Everybody thinks they're going to be served by these aliens. (laughs) They start going to the ship, and then this woman comes running out and says, we've translated the rest of the book. Don't go. It's a cookbook. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, (laughs) one of the most brilliant, brilliant Twilight songs. Rod Serling was so amazing. And... Yeah, I mean, you're talking about could it have been something like that? How would we have ever known? And certainly they did display their superiority in the sky to Eisenhower, so he knew what he was dealing with was a technology That's beyond right. anything that we had. So, uh, most people I know
1: we probably can't, don't we... realize you know, that uh, President Eisenhower had a pilot's license, and he was quite familiar with aircraft and aerodynamics himself. And that's what also helped him to decide these guys are over our heads. They're very advanced, and it might cause great embarrassment to our armed forces that feel that they're no longer in control of the skies. And he just felt it for the best to ask these fellows to just stay away.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. And now what about this treaty, though? What happened with that? Do you have any more information? I know you're getting information all the time from people. What happened with that? Is this where the secrecy all started? Uh,
1: It it was certainly some amount of secrecy was in place under Roosevelt and Truman, and Eisenhower was, again, an old military man who was familiar with the slogan, loose lips sink ships, so that you don't talk about military secrets, and that's what this became. He was on a military air base dealing with uh, aerial powers from another uh, another world instead of another country. So uh, he decided, you've got to stay out of sight. We might have a panic with people rushing through the streets or driving into trees or uh, people panicking in an airplane if they see your airships. So he asked, let's form an agreement that you will stay at arm's length and that we will exchange goods and services at a private airbase in Nevada and give you the things that you need in exchange for technology we want for you Uh, And uh, there are many people who feel there was another component of the agreement, and it's uh, somewhat unfortunate, and that uh, the extraterrestrials say, we'd like to study your world, your plants and animals and your people. And they really wanted to look us over individually, apparently in rural areas, uh, quietly, and then put us back. And so Eisenhower may have agreed to that. Uh, According to one man who was an aerospace uh, technician uh, named uh, Don... Phillips, he said. I read a report, and Eisenhower uh, said in this uh, classified report, "You people are so advanced. How can we stop you?" And that's probably a big factor that they're more advanced than we are, and uh, we pretty much can ask them to stay away. But you know, uh, we've got to form an agreement that they would adhere to, and hopefully, uh, not um, status us in the back on. So he gave in to allowing apparently, uh, the alien race, uh, the um, the opportunity to uh, pick up uh, people, maybe some Americans, in a country or rural setting and promise to put us back once they were finished uh, examining us, and that uh, apparently uh, they asked for names. Uh, they wanted names of the people uh, and a list to be made, and apparently that didn't uh, fly too well in the uh, aftermath of this agreement and uh, some people think that um, the aliens or another race of aliens got carried away and uh, started abusing this agreement this uh, abduction uh, process and that's tough for me to say
2: yeah it is a, a very important question though because there have been so many people that have been taken and and some of them have not been returned and the, sometimes the ones who were returned were returned in a, a terrible way. I mean, dropped out of the bottom of the spaceship, injured. Uh, so, yeah, it it seems like – and you bring in another issue, which was there another alien race who started kind of uh, taking advantage of that open door. And right.
0: It's so almost the like a
2: day,
1: Pandora's box. Yeah, a Pandora's box right. where you open it up to one race, and then what about all the others? that could or have been coming here, and some of them more ruthless or cold-blooded than others. So uh, if Eisenhower made an agreement with one race, did he feel, uh, did Eisenhower feel it was good for all races, or did the other races of being feel, well, that applies to us too? So uh, we're getting into kind of a gray area, and (laughs) I say that as a pun because uh, supposedly Mm -hmm. the grays (laughs) are the ones who are doing the abducting.
2: Yes, they've been heavily involved in that. And there have been other races involved also, which makes it a rather confusing landscape. So it's, yeah. And so he, but he didn't just meet with these aliens one time, right? There were more meetings than one.
1: Yeah, there's some fascinating research by a man named Art Campbell. He's passed away. Uh, He did a lot of research into a Holloman um, Air Force Base encounter between Eisenhower, and uh, an alien race that landed on the uh, runway in February of 55, one year later. And it's possible that uh, e- either another race wanted an agreement or Eisenhower was firming up this uh, written treaty, and he wanted to exchange uh, information. And so uh, according to some eyewitnesses, two airships came down at that uh, Air Force base at Holloman, And uh, one landed and one stayed in the uh, sky above and just kind of sat there hovering. And Eisenhower met with the extraterrestrials, possibly even entered their ship. Somebody resembling him supposedly did, according to uh, Art Campbell's research. And then came back out Hmm. and uh, there was Air Force One, uh, such as it was. It was called the Columbine back then. And Eisenhower apparently... uh, walked back into the Columbine and and went back on Air Force One. And so that was a second encounter. Uh, We can speculate uh, all day what happened, but I think it was a firming up of a treaty and an agreement and what will be exchanged, uh, just like you would with a foreign country. That's how we settled, let's say, World War II uh, with Japanese uh, forces. We met them uh, on the Missouri battleship and formalized an agreement and agreed to this and that and got it in writing. That's the way you did things back then.
2: Right. And he was a military man, as you mentioned. I mean, he was a he was somebody who was probably trying to look for an edge over these guys and probably had a hard time finding one.
1: Right. Eisenhower mm-hmm. had a slogan. He would say, uh, all I know is on every issue, I ask myself, is this the best uh, thing for the American people, and so uh, yeah. he probably applied that there too.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I can only imagine what a position that would be to be in, as the leader of the free world and having to face this, this, these extraterrestrials, not knowing really much about them at all, because it's not like they had all of these secret organizations that knew much about them, right? That all started right. later.
1: Right. Uh, Eisenhower was well, a good man and he was actually baptized one month into office. He was a very Christian uh, conservative man. So this had to have been a real jolt to his uh, uh his way of thinking too, although as I put out in the book, uh there were other cases of maybe Eisenhower having possible uh, uh encounter or at least uh, a UFO sighting of his own uh about 2 years previously.
2: Oh. That's interesting. Okay. So that that had some reference point in his life. That's a good thing. Now, right. let me uh, ask you, I, I know you were doing the book. Did you interview Laura Eisenhower also
1: for the book? I started to, and I kept finding so many videos online of her talking about this that I felt like, well, there's not much point anymore. I've got all the information <laughs> I need. I know she is Eisenhower's great-granddaughter, and she really believes he met with extraterrestrials. Eisenhower has a a granddaughter named Susan, and from information she puts online, she's uh, very open to the idea. She doesn't uh, totally endorse it, but uh, she she was once married to a Russian scientist who has also admitted that he heard that uh, extraterrestrials are visiting here and that Eisenhower may have visited with them. So, you know, uh I wish we could get more direct statements. You tend to hear from this source or that source claiming things, but it sounds feasible.
2: Yeah. And there's as you yeah. were doing research for the book, you found there was a lot that was still not uh is not declassified. A lot of it is still classified.
1: Right. Uh, these are things that Eisenhower Uh, Did And the first thing he would do after the uh, encounter was over, uh, both in his UFO sighting of 1952 and in the encounter in 1954 and 55, he gathered everyone who was present and said, uh, this is a matter of national security. I want you to take an oath right now never to speak of these issues ever again. And apparently the six bodyguards and the people who were with him in February of 1954 uh, kept their mouth shut until that one young Air Force pilot, uh, now 30 uh, years older, came forward and said, I'm going to tell you this story because I don't want it to die out. So everyone took their hope right. very seriously back then. You did what the government told you. And if the president himself swears you to, boy, you would keep your mouth shut. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Definitely
1: a different era. You
3: know, I'm – I'm thinking about how you were saying that they spoke English. So that would clearly lead us to believe that they had been here um, for a while and long enough to master our language, right? The, That's so this what I
1: thought, the that they have that obviously they been up. studying our culture and our, our language and knew how to speak it. Uh, there was no indication by this one eyewitness, the Air Force pilot, that there was somehow a translator device, that the uh, human-like aliens spoke English to Eisenhower and had a, uh, a very uh, smooth uh, exchange of ideas verbally, orally. Uh, they chatted in the night at the edge of a runway uh, uh, by the uh, open Air Force hangar at Edwards Air Force Base. And I know that may be unbelievable to some people, but there's so many people now that are convinced that we've been visited by a number of alien races for thousands, who knows, maybe over a million years, watching us and observing us and monitoring our progress as human beings. So I find it quite plausible.
2: Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yes. Yes, no question. Yeah. I think they've been here forever. So it's amazing that they... Yeah, see, you do too. Um, Yeah, it's... What I'm interested in also is their appearance, that they looked more human, that there were some aspects of them that made Eisenhower know they weren't, and but they were, what, normal height? They weren't like the little tiny greys. They were normal in height, maybe, what, 5'8", 5'9", something like that?
1: Uh, There was a document printed, and I think it's authentic. It's called the Special Operations Manual for the U.S. Army Intelligence Corps, from April 1954, just weeks or like a month and a half after the Eisenhower encounter. And it got leaked about 10, 15 years ago at least. And this document describes four different alien races coming here, and one are human being-like creatures who stand five foot tall and that they are fairly well-muscled. They have a somewhat different yellowish-grayish skin tone, different from ours. And that uh, their eyes are fairly uh, set apart, kind of like ours, maybe a little wider. And I'm thinking if they came from a different planet that had a different atmosphere, uh, their lungs and their nostrils for breathing would have turned out a little bit different. And that's what the Air mm-hmm. Force uh, officer said that they were very much like us, but a little misshapen by human standards.
2: And they wore uniform. You know.
1: I would imagine that they wore flight suits. Uh, I don't think the Air Force officer who confessed the story actually said, but we can't imagine them showing up naked. They were probably wearing uh, some kind of uniform or um, a space suit or something to protect them in their um, uh, spaceship environment and then stepping out onto the tarmac uh, at the Edwards Air Base. They probably stepped out and walked around planet Earth a number of times uh, since they did speak English, it shows us again that they were studying us they 'd been here for quite a while. You know they wouldn 't show up and, and ask to speak with Eisenhower in some sort of foreign language. Of course, they had to first learn English so um, yes, they really wanted to talk to him about uh, nuclear testing and the atomic bomb testing program, so they had to le- learn English and speak it well enough to communicate.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And they didn't show up with no. oxygen masks or any type of, I mean, they were breathing and in, our, in our atmosphere and able to maintain their, you know, their bodies and their composure. So that's so interesting.
1: Uh, yeah. I had the same yeah. questions when I was researching the book. Did they, did they have a breathing apparatus? But apparently not. Did they have helmets on? Uh, they, that was not mentioned. I should imagine the, uh, the Air Force pilot uh, would have told such things. It would have been remarkable details if they had uh, actually been seen, but he didn't say that. Hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Gosh, so many questions still, but, Paul, you've done such a great job bringing this story to our attention. And, again, I just want to urge everybody, if you're a reader, buy the book, and if you like to listen, get the audio because it's definitely worth listening to there's so many details in your book about all of this now i know other people have contacted you since the book came out what new things have you learned
0: well uh, just
1: little dribs and drabs that, that people heard this or they read this somewhere and basically what they bring up to me i've already covered in the book or i've read that before uh one person was calling, uh, I was speaking to another radio show host or a podcast host, and a man called in, uh, he didn't give his name, but he said it was a military officer. He had a real military bearing about him. And he said, uh, this story is true. He can't talk about it, but he said this uh, meeting was uh, not coincidental. It was set up in advance from uh, some communication gears that they... Uh, the uh, U.S. military set up in advance the aliens to uh, have uh, coordinates to come down and meet Eisenhower during his golf vacation, that uh, there were high-frequency radio waves used um, possibly with binary code to set this up in advance. It wasn't just, uh, oh, we happened to be in the neighborhood, we thought we would drop by. And the more I researched this, the more I think that story is true, that this was – very well set up in advance at a remote airbase where there would be no civilian eyewitnesses and people wouldn't panic or call the uh, the newspapers or something. They wanted this as private as possible, and it would have been an excellent place in 54, much less populated than the famous uh, airbase now where the space shuttles used to land, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, they have an aerospace technology mm-hmm. center there. It's much more crowded with people now.
2: Gosh. Amazing. So, yeah, this was well orchestrated in advance. It had to be. So, oh, this is an incredible story. I'm so glad you wrote the book about it. So Absolutely. I just have to ask, Michelle, are you picking up any vibrations from our President Eisenhower? Oh, my goodness.
3: You know, I'm just feeling that there is so much truth in this. So I can't specifically say that that is um you know, I feel like I feel his energy, but I'm not getting a direct message from him. But my truth meter is just going off. And 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 I would say, too, with this, this is just, and we all know this, or a lot of people know this, this is just the tip of the iceberg. So if this is highly classified information, you know, there's 10 more layers above that, right, <laughs> of stuff yeah. that we don't know. And the other thing, though, that right. I would tell you um, how you said something was leaked about 15 years ago, that would be what I'm being told is a controlled leak, not actually a leak. So it was more like somebody was given permission to give that information out. So
1: um,
3: the information that I'm getting is we're going to get more of these controlled leaks coming up in the next, you know, few years. Mm-hmm.
1: That would be exciting and true. That would be very wonderful.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we deserve the truth, that's for sure. And I think we've evolved enough to deserve to hear the truth. And the feeling that I get about President Eisenhower, and again, this is based on a lot of what you've shared, Paul, that he really was an upstanding, integritous person who was trying to do his absolute best. I'd be interested to know if he felt he succeeded when it came to the extraterrestrials. But it is my sense that he was always looking for an edge over them but could never really find one. But I can Mm -hmm. see in a place where he would try to move left, move right, you know, it's like, how can I get these guys where I want them? And it really wasn't uh, that much of a possibility given their superiority in every way. And it wasn't just the technology. It was their intellect. You know their their ability mm-hmm. to do the things that they did, even just learning our language, it probably didn't take them any time at all. It probably was instantaneous. It, that's how advanced well, I imagine yeah. they were.
1: There's there's one aspect of the alien or the Eisenhower alien encounter that we haven't covered, and it blows your mind when you hear this. And it's apparently oh, quite real, according to the Air Force mm-hmm. officer who was there. Not only did they right. display their s- spacecraft. But they stepped out of the spacecraft and walked back up to Eisenhower. And what happened next just blew everyone's mind at the time, and it said caused President Eisenhower considerable discomfort, that he got very nervous. The extraterrestrials apparently, uh, supposedly, demonstrated their their invisibility or their ability to cloak themselves and become invisible to the naked eye, to the human eye. Uh, the pilot said, we knew where they, they were there, but we couldn't see them, and that this caused Eisenhower to get very uncomfortable, that he said, we can't have you teaching this on this planet. Uh, we were full of uh, spies of all sorts in the military and in espionage, in business, and the corporate world, and there's probably even more of that going on today. But back then, we just can't have advanced aliens teaching people how to cloak themselves. And in the years Mm -hmm. since, the military, uh, as I understand it, science has started to uh, develop this ability to uh, make it appear as though uh, you've disappeared from view when you're actually there. So this was demonstrated by the advanced beings who met with Eisenhower, and he thought, oh, boy, that's it. You guys are going to have to go. Yeah, this is
2: just a little too much. Okay. Yeah. And it's interesting because he thought, he possibly thought, that these ETs would be working directly with the people. So it sounds like that's also something he didn't want to have happen.
1: Yeah, he was afraid they would sit down, like, at a football game with 50,000 people or at a country fair and start demonstrating to people their craft and how they can make themselves invisible. They wanted an education program. Can you imagine starting to teach um, uh, spies or thieves or rapists or murderers? or assassins, how to make yourself invisible. This would have been a security nightmare for the president. And so he did what he thought was right, and he asked them to leave. But let me
3: ask you this. That also would be amazing for a president to have them teach just the people you want how to do that, right? Um, So do you think it's possible that he had them stay and teach that to I don't know, the FBI, the CIA, specific groups of people, that that would have been
1: an amazing tool
3: for? Or do you think it would have been an all or nothing? We teach it to everyone or we teach it to no one?
1: Yeah. The aliens showed their ability to do this, but I don't think they uh, explained to Eisenhower how to do this. He just asked them, you can't do this, you can't teach this to people. So I don't think Eisenhower learned how to uh, to make himself invisible or anyone else or an object uh, that the mm-hmm. extraterrestrials had this ability, but they did not demonstrate exactly how they were able to pull this off. I think it has something to do with uh, manipulating your molecular structure and
0: uh,
1: mm-hmm. he, this is some sort of scientific aspect that's uh, over my head, I admit, so that uh, I think he did the right thing in 54. We have to ask ourselves, if this were to happen now and whoever's president in the last few years or will be in the future, what would their reaction be in the modern world if they landed, came back and said, well, well here – and we'd like to give you uh, uh, your people uh, an education to our existence and everything. I don't know what would happen. It, may, it might be the same uh, reaction that you fear and worry that uh, this is going to freak people out too much. And the president might say, we're still not ready for this. You're still going to have to leave. Yeah, well, again, well,
2: absolutely.
1: Some people, I
2: think... People have come to accept it because they are all over our skies. Everybody has cell phones they 're yeah. taking videos and pictures of all of this, and can 't be denied. The Pentagon has come out and said, "Yes, there are things in our skies we don 't know what they are, which is baloney they do know, but still it's um, it's a it 's a big quandary for the military and the government because their whole job is to maintain a stranglehold on the population. they don 't right. want us to know what they know and so they, But they've been pushed into a corner somehow, and I'm still wondering exactly what the catalyst was that made this Pentagon report come out. I mean, they, they had to be pushed into it somehow, and mm-hmm. I don't know why. If, you know, if there's other superpowers like China and Russia who are saying, hey, you better get with the program because we're going to reveal this, and then the United States is going to look pretty stupid because we'll come out with the proof, and then you're going to look really bad because you've been hiding it. So that's
1: well. Maybe it was the yeah. Maybe it was the popularity of President Eisenhower's Close Encounter climbing the (laughs) charts. That's right. (laughs) You're
2: pushing it out there. That's right. That's That's right. It's great. Well, let's let's segue into the next story in the next book that you just completed, the Nixon Gleason alien encounter. That's another fascinating tale. So tell us about this.
1: It sure is, and it's linked in some ways. In my book, uh, I, I think of it as a sequel to the Eisenhower book, Be, uh, mostly because, well, two things: Nixon may have learned plenty from Eisenhower, who was his boss in the fifties when he was President Eisenhower, and the Vice President was the young Richard Nixon. And second, Eisenhower met with extraterrestrials and may have formed a treaty in on February nineteenth, nineteen fifty-four. The information we have on President Nixon and Jackie Gleason seeing something otherworldly is from February nineteenth, nineteen 1973, the 19th mm. anniversary. On the same exact date, at an airbase at night, they went sneaking around together, and I'm thinking this just can't be coincidental. I think there was a treaty to be renewed at the time, and Nixon had to be at an airbase to uh, to update it or. Up- Uh, Maybe even cancel it for all we know. And that's why he was there. I don't know if Jackie Gleason was allowed any further, but Gleason told his wife that Nixon uh, met him at the airbase, Homestead Airbase, south of Miami, near where Jackie lived. And they saw uh, Nixon displayed the bodies of four dead alien beings. And they had a different description from the humans or human-like creatures that met with Eisenhower. And uh, it's just another example that, obviously, there's another race here observing us and uh, visiting, monitoring us, and they apparently had an accident because these were dead bodies. I don't believe Gleason said they had been autopsied, but uh, I feel like, um, well, his wife that uh, Jackie told the story to later that night, uh, Jackie's uh, former wife, Beverly Gleason, said that Jackie said that they had been in a crash and that uh, they were quite clearly dead and from another world. So that gives us an indication that um, we are being visited and that the truth is that there's more than one race and who do we trust? Who do we uh, turn to, you know, reliably in making agreements? So it gets a little complicated, doesn't it? It does,
2: yes. I mean, you're raising some very important questions here. Now, with Nixon, my understanding with Nixon is that he was – not all presidents are briefed about UFOs and aliens. Mm -hmm. However, I have heard that Nixon was heavily briefed. He was one of the few that was given a tremendous amount of information. I heard Clinton was given next to nothing. They didn't want him to know anything. And I heard Carter was given some information, and it upset him – so much that he spent an hour crying his eyes out in his office.
1: So, and he will never discuss president, it either. Something, re- yeah, something really rattled Jimmy Carter. He won't. He said during the campaign for president, "I'll make all this UFO information public because I've seen one." As soon as he got into office, he was briefed, and boy, did he climb up fast. Yeah. Yep.
2: Exactly. So yeah, they told him something that just didn't didn't sit right with him, and he couldn't handle it because he just was sobbing in his office. But Nixon was given a tremendous amount of information. And, you know, I just think it's hilarious that he brought Jackie Gleason to see the bodies. It's like, that's <laughs> just too, too <laughs> funny. I don't know. It's just too funny. It's like, hey, you want to come see some dead aliens? <laughs> I don't know. It's, one it's one just small so factor
1: th- may have been that Jackie Gleason's birthday was coming up in just a matter of a few days. What do you get oh. your friend who's obsessed with aliens, you know, for his birthday? And so this <laughs> may have been Nixon's gift. <laughs> Guess what, what I've got David? for you? <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: yeah. You can't now, take them home with you, but, yeah, you can't take any pictures, but look what i got to show you for your birthday.
2: Yeah. So now you know it's real. So what? what was Jackie Gleason's position with aliens? He thought that they were real and –
1: That's why this
2: is an important thing for him.
0: Right.
1: I'm becoming more and more convinced that Jackie not only uh, believed in aliens, that he learned in the 1950s of the Eisenhower encounter. And he was deeply intrigued, and he had an entire UFO house built in Peekskill, New York, on the edge of a cliff so that it would look like he's flying through the air looking down on planet Earth <laughs> in this uh, glass-paneled circular UFO house. It's still there to this day. He sold it in no 1964. Kidding. Yeah, but the mm-hmm. house is still there. Uh, a real estate company handles who can rent it, and at one point David Bowie rented it. And I did more research on David Bowie, and he had a big UFO obsession. He said he saw UFOs back in the 1960s, uh, the late 60s, he and his girlfriend saw a bunch of them hovering uh, in the sky at night, uh, I think uh, somewhere near London, England, which is, uh, I don't think, where he's from. But anyway, uh, Gleason was wild about UFOs. He had a huge book collection about space aliens and paranormal topics, and they're all still together. You can go check them out if you're in Miami. They're at the University of Miami at their uh, library it's a special gleason book room uh these are uh, somewhat uh, yellowed and uh tattered, I guess, from uh, Jackie reading them back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. But uh, it shows that he was just utterly fascinated. And I think he must have badgered uh, President Nixon, his golfing buddy. Could you show me or could you tell me? What do you know? What's out there? Who's visiting? He was uh, just obsessed with this subject. And I think Nixon finally gave in and gave Jackie uh, one heck of a birthday present.
2: That sounds right. Gosh, I had no idea Jackie Gleason was so involved with the whole UFO phenomenon. Isn't that interesting? So he must have Uh, felt so vindicated to know that he was right, and here's the bodies to prove it.
1: Yeah. Uh, He actually had a Tesla coil in his UFO roundhouse, and you're thinking, well, what's a Tesla coil? It's a a big electromagnetic uh, device or not that big, really, uh, that Nikolai Tesla used in the late 1890s and in the 1900s and i at first i was skeptical about this but the more i read Tesla said it he was trying to communicate with extraterrestrials so what a coincidence jackie bought it and put it in his ufo roundhouse
0: oh my god and it makes you think <laughs> wow. that
1: jackie was yeah that he was going to give it a try and another factor yeah. i found out jackie was wild about uh what we call ham radios and sending out radio signals he had a room full of dozens according to his uh, stepson So when you factor it in, we heard in the uh, first part of this show how Eisenhower may have had the uh, alien encounter set up by high-frequency radio waves, contact with aliens. I can't prove it, but I strongly suspect Jackie Gleason was giving that a try with his uh, ham radios, high-frequency attempts, and with his Tesla coil in his UFO house surrounded by his UFO books. He was something else. I guess I had no
3: idea. Did you know mm-hmm. this, Michelle? <laughs> no, I I had no idea. You know what I keep thinking about with um Nixon and Eisenhower. So there are also some religious implications that would come in, not just the fact that we are outsmarted and out and and all of these things, right? But there there is a certain portion of the population that truly believes humans are, you know, the top of the food chain, the most intelligent, you know, and and I was thinking, you know, because especially with Eisenhower about how he was so um you know, just seemed to be such a great stand-up guy, and he was religious. It, you know, how much of that do you think played into this too? Is his of what it would do to people, um, and and the way their relationship with God or their religion was.
0: Right,
1: uh, he was uh, Eisenhower was a particularly church-going Christian, and he was probably worried that people all over the world would lose their faith in God. Or their particular religion, and that had to weigh mm-hmm. on him very heavily. That maybe we better not tell people; they're just not ready for this. Right. Whereas mixing for yeah. me,
3: the energy with him was more like he was just gonna toe the 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 line that had already been laid. So I, that energy that I'm feeling with this is that he was really just following up what had already been been done. Um, but yeah, with Eisenhower, I feel this energy of like, he really had concern um for what it would do to people kind of on an inner turmoil type level too.
1: I think that sounds 100% accurate.
2: Yeah, and
3: I yeah.
1: think
2: that's what really got to Jimmy Carter, because Jimmy Carter mm-hmm. was very religious also. And I think uh whatever they told him Uh, Whether it was, look, we're made up of all these different alien races, that's really what we're about, or something, it rattled him from that religious point of view that you brought up, Michelle. Um, Yeah, wow. And I just want to revisit what you said also, Paul, about the Tesla coil, because now, Mm -hmm. if you go to our website, supernaturalgirls.com, and you go to Supernatural Health, you will see there is a company now that is selling Tesla coils.
0: And oh they're also
2: making these uh these medical beds that you can go and have a treatment on. And I'm just learning about them now, but we've had guests talk about them that they've been in development for a while. They can do some pretty amazing things. So go to the website and you can get directly linked with the company that's actually selling them and they're not very expensive. They're around I think $500 for a person. They sell them for children. They sell them for pets. So you can take a look there. And, you know, they have to be very careful. Obviously, they can't make claims, or the FDA will come riding in on their
1: dragon. So <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: you have to I only recently began
1: reading it. I only recently began began reading about Tesla coils, and guess who lived in New York City not far from Jackie Gleason in the last 10 years of his life? Nikola Tesla. He lived in a a hotel, The New Yorker, and Jackie lived not far away in New York City. And I kind of want to know, did Jackie have the actual Tesla coils that Nikola Tesla used? You know, Jackie had millions and millions of dollars, and he could buy anything he wanted. So he, yeah, he was that authentic. I think I read where he had two Tesla coils in his UFO roundhouse. And I just wonder, are they still there to this day? Uh, but I'll back yeah. up to one point. If you've ever seen The Honeymooners, there's an episode where Ralph Cramden has to go to a costume party, and he starts grabbing all of these knobs and dials, and he makes his own costume, and he steps out of the bedroom and says, Look at me. I'm the man from space. He actually had an alien-themed episode in which he felt, I'm the man from space. (laughs) So this gives you another tip-off. Back in the 50s, that episode was from late 55, he was obsessed with this and even injected it into his TV show.
2: That's amazing.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I had no
2: idea. I just knew him as Ralph Cramden. He was a great big comedian and a tremendous star, but, oh, my goodness, and no idea he had this this alien life. That's
1: great.
2: So (laughs) what surprised
1: you the most? You guys have a fine program. In the 50s, it was much more rare for some radio show host to talk about aliens, but in New York City there was a man named Long John Nebel, who had an overnight radio program, and Jackie was an insomniac, and he would call in frequently. I've heard uh, on the internet some of his calls uh, the audio is terrible, but Jackie would talk about uFOs and aliens, and he would occasionally hire a taxi to come over and pick him up and take him to the studio to talk about it in person
0: He, he would also
1: call up uh, UFO book authors and talk to them personally he He wanted to talk and get every scrap of information he was so obsessed with that subject. So once again it's not so wild at all that Nixon would finally take pity on him in 73 as uh, two mature men in the height of their powers yeah let's let's go to the air base and I'll finally show you one maybe you'll get off my back was probably his attitude
0: yeah
2: now what did his what did Jackie Gleason's wife say about this was he upset after he had seen it was he agitated was he you know, euphoric, because he finally got to see proof, or what did she say his
1: emotional reaction was? He ran the gamut of emotions. He was upset uh, for a few minutes, and would thunder, well, the government doesn't want you to know this, and they don't tell you, and they make people who come forward with their stories sound like idiots. And then a few minutes later, he would be just euphoric, because he got to see the proof for himself,
0: at last,
1: after his whole life of wanting to know, he got this exclusive inside scoop, and he felt like king of the world. So, And then he would go back to being mad that, you know, it has to be kept a state secret. And he says, I really shouldn't have told you, but he told his wife when she asked, where have you been? And he yeah. came home from this meeting yeah. just ashen and shaken and, you know, like, what happened to you? And he told the truth. He said, Nixon took me to an air base and showed me the bodies of four aliens. They were about two or two and a half feet tall and gray with big, pointy ears, he said. And uh, mm-hmm. if you've ever heard of the Hopkinsville-Kentucky encounter, that's the same exact description of these uh, extraterrestrials that seemed to be harassing a farm family one night in the middle of 1955. And Jackie may have been familiar with that story. I don't know. But uh, the description of the creatures matches what uh, Nixon showed Jackie at Homestead Air Force Base in private. And so it really shook him up that he's excited to finally learn the truth and yet uh, frustrated and upset that he can't tell anyone. And then he went home and told his wife. And uh, thereafter, many a reporter asked Jackie, what about the story your wife is claiming? She talked about Mm -hmm. you going with Nixon, and he refused all comment. He could have said, oh, that's a lot of nonsense. Get that out of here. I'm not going to talk about um," any made-up lies. But he didn't. He didn't trash the story. He just refused all comment for the rest of his life.
2: Wow. So she spilled the beans. This is why they can't – like telling these secrets to women, I hear, because we just talk about it. That's what we do. That's right.
3: We, we like to have conversation about interesting things, right?
2: Yeah, and we don't see a
1: reason for it to be secret.
2: So.
1: Yeah. Beverly Gleason said that she knew her husband was friends with Nixon and once even uh, sat around the pool uh, in Miami talking to Nixon and Jackie and some other celebrities with drinks in their hands. Nixon would come down to Florida quite often and stay in Key Biscayne, and he would uh, visit with Jackie a couple of times when he was president. They played golf together a few times in that era. They played golf a lot in the 60s in Miami when uh, Nixon had a lot of free time on his hands. So, again, the more you learn, the more the story becomes quite plausible. It certainly does, yes.
2: And did you come across any information that supported the, the, uh, the thought that Nixon was highly briefed on extraterrestrial visitation?
1: Yeah, I talked to Linda Moulton Howe, and she had a source who came to her and said that um, uh, I'm with the military, I'm dying, I have, uh, I think he said diabetes, and that I want to tell you this story, that I briefed Nixon and President Eisenhower on one or two occasions, I forget which um, was the total, on the extraterrestrials that were being uh, held or looked at or examined at an air base in Nevada. And what's the situation here? Eisenhower really wanted to know, and Nixon was uh, sitting in on that meeting, uh, the Air Force uh, in, or CIA-related military man said I briefed him. I went out to Nevada and saw things for myself and told them all about it. Nixon knew as vice president. Uh, I'm thinking this is probably in the second term when Eisenhower trusted Nixon more and realized Nixon's going to be the, uh, the nominee of the party for president in 1960. So uh, I think Nixon was fully briefed uh, well before he became president.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. That's a lot of what I've heard, same thing. Yeah, and I don't know who makes these decisions. You know, that's an interesting question. Who decides how much information each president gets?
1: Uh, yeah, and and what the uh, why they are trusted with it, or how much they press for it. You know, uh, is it the more you press, the less they're going to give you? If you show disinterest, maybe they'll uh, you know trust you more with information. I don't know quite. Who is doing this? I should imagine some uh, Air Force generals and National Security Administration uh, officials, uh, possibly Henry Kissinger, who was close to Nixon. And there's a story in my book that I've just finished uh, that Nixon, or rather Mr. Kissinger, was familiar with the story way back in the 1950s. He worked with a Dr. Eric Wang, who was into this subject of uh, extraterrestrial studies, at, uh, I think, Los Alamos uh, uh, Laboratory in New Mexico. So I know we get a little bit into hearsay and secondhand stories, but I try to put only things that make sense, that are reasonable and logical and uh, fit with the known facts. I don't like to go off on wild tangents. I know some of these uh, presidential tales sound pretty wild to the average Joe, but uh, I urge you to read my books and listen Uh, you know, to a a show like this and put all the uh, information together, and it really does start to make sense. Their job is to protect the American people and the American armed forces, and we're not sure exactly what's out there, but we do know we're being visited, so you have to do something. Yeah, and again, I think so much relies
2: on the integrity of the leaders. And President Eisenhower really had a lot of integrity, and I think for uh, most of the time, so did Nixon. I, there was, there was a sense of loyalty to doing what was right for the country, and whether it was the right thing to do or not, it there it was. That was the idea. That that was the motivational factor. I can't say that's what's going on today, but I yeah. do see that certainly with Eisenhower, yeah, straight up, a straight up guy. Uh, Mr. Nixon waited to do
1: something with Jackie until he had been safely reelected in the fall of 72, and uh, Mm -hmm. all previous presidents had passed away, even uh, Truman, uh, uh, Lyndon Johnson, Eisenhower, they were Mm -hmm. all passed away when he decided to show Jackie the truth. And that if word ever got back to somebody, he could say, well, I'm in charge and there's no other commander in chief left. I'll do as I feel. So that's another factor that uh, even J. Edgar Hoover at the FBI and Alan Dulles at the CIA had recently passed away. So there was pretty much the old guard was gone and left Nixon free to do what he wanted.
2: Yeah. Gosh, I really yeah. want to know what he knew. He He was the guy I, who knew no. what <laughs> was really going on.
1: You know? He has. I think he 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 knew plenty and he took some action there. Yeah. Gosh.
3: Paul, do you think it's safe, safe, Paul, to assume that they're having, obviously, these meetings and these treaties with other countries around the world and that this has been going on for a long time with Russia and China and these other places, too?
1: It's certainly possible that a president... farms out this job so to speak to a top trusted general and generally doesn't get too involved but eisenhower really didn't have too much of a choice he was a brave man and i think he kind of kicked this off he got it started to more contact with friendly creatures or uh, visitors and he felt like they could be trusted at least somewhat And it was necessary to form an agreement to protect America from any sort of social disorder or panic. And I think other presidents have adhered to that, possibly without meeting aliens. You never know what goes on in private. I think it was probably pretty rare for a U.S. president to go to an airbase and and, uh, do what Eisenhower did. It wasn't all that necessary. You would assign it to a trusted uh, aide or Air Force uh, officer. And it's uh, interesting to know that one year after the Nixon-Gleason encounter, he went back to Key Biscayne on the same anniversary date, and all the records that you want to check on this have been expunged from the Nixon Presidential Library, and I have that in my book. Hmm. Very suspicious. That would have been the 20th anniversary of the Eisenhower encounter in 74.
2: Wow. Do you have any hope that – Some of these redacted records and things that are still classified will be declassified in the next 10, 20 years? You might actually get access to these things?
1: Very slim that the government will do so. But you never know when someone like maybe Julian Assange might hack into something and leak it to the world uh, or any just uh, some computer whiz. Uh, It's way beyond me how they can do that. Uh, one example might be the skinny Bob alien video that popped up 10 years ago, and it sure looks like a real alien if you've seen this uh, big-eyed, yeah,
0: bulb-headed
1: creature that was apparently mm-hmm. hacked from a computer file, uh, maybe United Nations or something like that. And so uh, I'd like to see more of that, but, uh, you know, people are afraid of being prosecuted if they are, are tracked down doing so so i don't have any knowledge or wherewithal how to do that but if we're talking about relying on our government uh uh, there's some people who think we are in a process of gradual disclosure and others think we'll probably never get uh, the full lowdown from our government but uh, all i can do is uh, say stay tuned and keep your eyes and ears open and keep checking the internet uh uh, once in a while uh, unusual things pop up on there And I certainly have some social media sites to put them on, yeah.
2: Yeah, that's that's true. I remember there was a (laughs) hacker from Scotland, I believe, who hacked into the NASA database and came up with all kinds of things that we were in touch with extraterrestrials. And he came out with a lot of information, and they couldn't prosecute him. (laughs) So that was a good thing. (laughs) I think he, he couldn't be extradited or whatever from Scotland, so he got off on that got free, but he did find a lot of information, and, and I, as I recall, one of the things he found was that we had off-world people. We had people on other worlds, and this was years
0: ago, mm. and, mm-hmm. you know, so
2: so there you have it, you know, he came, he, he said these were in the NASA files,
1: so yeah, there's a there's whole bunch more. Who believe- Yeah. Have you ever heard of Project Serpo? Yes.
3: Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. That's a very controversial. Yeah. That supposedly not only are we in contact with some aliens who have landed and proven themselves friendly, but that we have exchanged diplomats that they bring out from their airships. Uh, friendly extraterrestrials who go into like a meeting area indoors and we send some of our bravest troops or intelligence officers aboard the ship and they take them to their home planet and it may take weeks or months before they come back now that's the claim it would be difficult to prove this but there's some people who take this very seriously, and I even wonder if that's what Nixon was uh, partly up to on February 1970, uh, 1973, uh, if that's one of the reasons he had to be there. I don't know if Jackie was shown all that much and then escorted out, but uh, there may have been uh, more going on with Nixon uh, on that particular date uh, that uh, Jackie either wasn't told or that Jackie uh, did not tell his wife. Hmm, That's possible. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Especially because he knew his wife would
2: start talking about this, I'm sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he may have held back a little bit, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. This is just great information, Paul. It's so interesting. Oh, my God. Well, also, Close Encounters, yeah. the Spielberg movie where they exchanged people,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
2: aliens stayed here, and some of our people went on the ship. That is supposedly based on a true story.
1: So that goes yeah, right along. Yeah, where did they get that idea? At that. an air base? Yeah, it was an air base out in the desert with Air Force officials greeting landed extraterrestrials. Gee, where did they yeah. come up with that idea, huh? Right. <laughs> it had yeah. almost everything except Dwight Eisenhower in that movie.
2: Yes. <laughs> yes, it does. hmm Yes. So it's, you know, it's it's all very, very interesting. But how you bring these things together is amazing to me. You really get, you collect all these pieces to the puzzle and, and they work. And that's why your books are so enjoyable. I, I can't wait again for your uh, Nixon-Gleason alien encounter to come out. Did they give you a, a drop date yes. on this? Is it going to be this year?
1: I'm hoping this year, maybe uh, by the fall, where it starts to become holiday gift-giving time, that's always a good idea, <laughs> idea for a book to come out. Uh, that's right. And when it does, it will be creeping closer to the 50th anniversary in February of next year. One year from now will be the uh, uh, special 50th anniversary of Nixon and Gleason and what they did. Uh, Beverly Gleason talked about it in an article she wrote for The Inquirer, in 1983, and when Jackie read it, he hit the roof, and he called her up and chewed her out and said, uh, you know, don't ever speak of this again. So she has kept her mouth shut except for one interview in 2003. She didn't add to the story or embellish it or change it or or retract it in any way. She says, I stick by the facts. This really happened, but I don't have any more information for you. So uh, that Mm kind of, again, adds to the credence of the believability that if she had gone crazy and added all kinds of laser guns and invasion and Nixon acting crazy or such nonsense, uh, we could not believe her. But she didn't do that at all. So Jackie refused comment, and his wife, his former wife, uh, just said, that's the story, and she doesn't uh, talk about it ever since.
2: Oh, my goodness. Now, is she
1: still living? She's still alive? I believe she is. I had trouble tracking her down. The last I checked, within a year or two, she was still alive on the East Coast. But, you know, these are tenuous times, uh, especially she must be getting close to 90 now. So uh, if you were able to contact her, would she remember things accurately? Uh, Would she be in her right mind? I would hope so. And that, um, I was not able to find her, but again, she gave this interview in two thousand three. She didn't change anything, she didn't add anything, so I don't think she has anything more to say is why she's been so quiet, yeah, yeah,
2: oh my goodness, wow, what a great story, oh my, yeah, I mean, is there out of the two presidents that you've done books about now, what surprised you the most? Eisenhower, and what surprised you the most for the Nixon-Gleason book?
1: Wow, that's a good question. Uh, What may have surprised me is what uh, you tapped into and mentioned earlier, that not only was there this uh, 54 encounter, but uh, in 55 a second encounter, and that uh, a few years ago, a government document was leaked. It was uh, dated uh, January of 1989, apparently for the incoming George H. W. Bush presidency. It was a briefing document. Mm
0: -hmm. And it
1: mentioned that Eisenhower had three airbase encounters with friendly extraterrestrials. Uh, They mentioned the 54, the 55, and that there was a third one. And so I looked up in uh, Eisenhower's uh, daily schedule that you can uh, check out at his uh, presidential library online. And sure enough, there was a bit of an opening there where he could have gone to an airbase. All of this stuff checks out. If it hadn't, I would put that in my book and say, look, this couldn't have happened. But darn it, every time, like Nixon really was, according to his records, in Miami. And uh, he even showed up at Jackie Gleason's golf tournament on national television Monday the uh, the 19th. In, uh, Keyba- uh, in Fort Lauderdale, and so we knew that uh, Jackie and-, and Nixon were pals, and they palled around in a golf cart and talked to reporters together like old buddies that very afternoon. So it's not a wild, crazy story. It all fits, yeah. and it's like, I can't mm-hmm. believe there's not been a book about this before, but I'm glad to get it out, and I hope people enjoy it.
2: Well, we're enjoying this. This is great. Yes. Yeah. You're giving (laughs) us so much wonderful information. Now, do you know what it was that set Jackie Gleason off on this path to be
1: so in love with UFOs? He gave an interview in the 1950s and said, at that time, I've not seen a UFO, but I'm very interested. He said he did not believe stories where um, people met friendly uh martians or venusians uh, people from venus and went up on their spaceship that was apparently uh, somewhat popular in the 50s he said i was skeptical about that but he was interested in real sightings real stories and he started out on the air talking to this radio show host and said i'll give ten thousand dollars to anyone who can show me the proof i want hard proof he upped it to a Yeah, later oh my months, God. he said, I want this hard proof. I'll give you a million dollars. And Jackie ah. had millions and millions every year coming in. So, and he was serious. And I think this was another factor that Nixon took him up on this. So, uh, you yeah. know, he demanded the proof, <laughs> and he finally got it. Gosh,
2: and
1: maybe Nixon got a million dollars, too. Huh? Yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: He might want tell them. you what. <laughs> A million dollars back then was really worth a lot of money. It oh, yeah. It was worth
1: so That's much right.
2: more. <laughs> what would that oh, be, like $10 million
1: in today's money? Yeah.
2: At least. Yeah. At least with this inflation. So, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, his persistence paid off, didn't it, Jackie's persistence? Yeah. He wanted I, to I know. Read in
1: this, yeah, I read in Jackie's heyday he made $14 million a year from CBS alone For his variety show and the Honeymooners, he did record albums, Mm. he did movies. He had money to burn, so he made his own UFO house, and he made this extravagant offer, I want hard proof. And again, I think Nixon took him up on it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Happy birthday to you, Jackie. Where's that million dollars?
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's
2: right. Oh, my goodness. I wonder what he would think about things today. I think he would have been he would be very outspoken about the level of secrecy still occurring today.
1: Yeah, uh, Jackie was yeah. frustrated by it. He was such an enthusiast that um, he had this huge book collection and magazines and periodicals. I read where somebody said he used to come into our Radio Shack and buy parts for his uh, ham radio to make contact with people all over the world in a special bedroom in his house in Miami. So he was a a different character. He did whatever he felt like. And I've been told by a Freemason that Jackie was indeed a Freemason, and he went for that big time, all the secrets they had, and all the mysticism, and uh, that he was a good soul, but he wanted to know more. His wife said that Jackie would wake up in the middle of the night from unusual dreams and tell her about these dreams in which he had past lives. And Jackie felt he was reincarnated from... uh, around the time of Henry VIII, that he was a knight in shining armor uh, in, oh. in that lifetime. He, yeah, that he was not Henry VIII, but uh, he was from England in that period, and that Jackie felt certain that uh, he was reliving a past life. So he had a great deal of interest in the paranormal.
0: He
2: sure mm-hmm. did. He's our kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. He is. We need to He's interview somebody we would have on the show. <laughs> yeah.
1: West tip to talk about it he had to be very careful how he spoke about it in his day he didn't want to be thought of as a nut uh, there was more of that uh, mindset it's not nearly as mainstream as it is today no it
2: wasn't i mean there was i'm sure he had to walk carefully and he had this big career but i think he got to a point where it didn't matter because he was so big in hollywood and so big and everything that he did that nobody would would give him a hard time but it took him a while to get there and god bless him because he did what he wanted to do i've got to see pictures of this ufo house and you said it was where in new york somewhere
1: yeah it was about 40 miles outside of new york city in a, a small town called Peekskill. he found a kind of cliff or a bluff and he had this house custom built cost him a small fortune It's uh, circular with glass walls so that you look out and feel, you know, your guests, that he would have parties there, he didn't actually live there, uh, that they could feel like they were in a spaceship. And, uh, you know, uh, it made Architectural Digest, I think, in 1960. And if I can find some photos, I'll send them along to you on the Internet there.
2: Yeah, then we can post them on our Facebook page. That would be fun for people to see. And it's rented out now. You said people can actually rent it?
1: He uh, Jackie sold it to CBS executives when he moved his whole show to Miami in 64, and the CBS executives let a, a well-known uh, realtor at the time handle renting it out to VIPs or people with money who would treat it with great respect and care. And I assume that's the way it's being handled today, uh, that you can't um, – Uh, rent it out, uh, uh, you know, overnight for a party and invite all your friends and have a seance or something, that they just want um, very low-key people (laughs) with money who are not going to, uh, you know, do anything too wild. Oh, right. They certainly don't want any damage. Patricia, does
3: that mean
1: we can't go have a seance? Oh,
3: gosh. (laughs) You know,
2: I promise we behave. (laughs) (laughs) I'll
1: bet Jackie went to a few in his day. He really was into that.
2: Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and then he had the money to to afford the best of whatever he was involved with, so, gosh, I'm surprised that yeah. nobody ever has done a book about his interest in all of this, or is there a book about his love of the paranormal?
1: Not, not that I'm aware of. There are biographers who barely will even touch on this, but uh, they mentioned Jackie had an interest in the paranormal and an obsession with tracking down even the most obscure UFO witnesses to call them on the phone and, you know, quiz them about what they saw. That's how um, determined he was to get to the truth. And I think a lot of people have those those feelings. But he had the name, you know, of, oh, Jackie Gleason's on the line? Oh, well, yeah. of course I'll talk to him. But if you or I right. you were to call somebody, they might say, no, nah, I'm not going to tell you anything. Anyway. So he used right. his name, his star power, and his money to get uh, at the facts. And I think that was a factor with President Nixon.
2: Yeah, definitely. Oh, my goodness. Now, Paul, what if in our audience tonight there is someone listening that can add to these two stories? How would they get a hold of you? What's the best way?
1: Uh, you might try me on Facebook, either my personal page or uh, President Eisenhower's Close Encounters on Facebook or um the Paul Blake Smith author page on Facebook. And that's a really good place to start. Uh, If you go to my website, mo41.info, it has an address where you can email me. Uh, I'd be interested in anyone's uh, truth, you know, real uh, stories and not made up silliness, but uh, I I sometimes get little dribs and drabs. uh, People send me information. Some of it I already know, unfortunately, but uh, I appreciate uh, serious people who have uh, some real insight. So uh, I advise you to go there. You can contact Foundations Books. Uh, They're a a company based out of uh, Brandon, Mississippi. If you have information, call or write to the publishers, and they'll send it to me. And so uh, if anyone has any information on Mr. Nixon or more on Eisenhower, my book uh, for this year is not completely set into print. I might be able to cram in some more facts because I love – Uh, as much information as possible, to give the readers their money's worth and not some sort of empty thing full of some wacky theory, but to really dig into the facts and get as much information that can be proven as possible. And I think I've done that, and uh, that's the way I approached my first book, The Cape Girardeau UFO Crash, and that's how I did the Eisenhower and now the Nixon book. And uh, if I get more information, maybe we can make a trilogy off of another president who may have seen some
0: things.
2: And that's great, Paul. Well, you've done a great job with these books. And, again, everybody, uh, the first book, President Eisenhower's Close Encounters, is available as a book on Amazon, and also it's available as an audiobook on Amazon. So, Or you can get it from Tantor Media, who produced the book and did a great job with uh, with picking the reader and the cover and everything. It's excellent. And I'll keep all of you posted on the Nixon-Gleason Alien Encounter and when you can go and get a copy of that. So, Paul, thank you so much. This has been a delightful evening with you. Learned so much. Thank you.
1: You're welcome, and I hope um, you'll enjoy that book later this year and that uh, people will keep tuning into your show, and maybe they'll have information to pass along to you, and you can contact me, too. That it would be great, yes.
2: I know there's somebody out there who has more for you, so I hope they'll contact <laughs> yeah.
1: you or us very
2: soon. Yes. Right. So, everybody, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll be back next week. I think, Michelle, are we doing Angels next week again? I think we are doing Angels next week. I yes. think so, with Corin Grillo. So, yes, it's going to be another great show, everybody. And until then... We will see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everyone.
0: Thanks for
1: listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with
2: Supernet.